Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the Sal Sports and Stuff podcast, episode number 18 coming your way. Thanks a lot for listening, downloading, and subscribing. That's right. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. The best way to do it, go to the Apple iTunes store, subscribe right there. It'll just download automatically onto your uh, podcast app, but you don't have to be an Apple person. You can listen in all different ways and manners. And if you just need to go to WGR550.com, click on sales sports and stuff, find it, go follow me on Twitter. I always put out links to it either way. It's great. I'm glad you could do it. I have a goal. My goal is to get this podcast on the top episodes page of the Apple iTunes store. That is a really lofty goal, but I want to do it. Let's do it. Just subscribe. Keep subscribing and tell all your friends to subscribe. Throw me a nice rating or review or whatever you got to do. That would be awesome as well. Episode number 18, also known as the Paul Sear podcast. All right, that's right. Paul Sear was my favorite saber growing up. He was number 18, and that was after Danny Gare wore 18. And Danny, since I'm in this business now, Danny's become a friend of mine, and I always joke with him, see that 18 hanging hanging up in the rafters? That's not for Danny Gare. That's for Paul Sear. Not really. It is Danny Gare, but you get the point. It's kind of funny uh, when I think about it in that sense. And um, speaking of Sabres, that's what this podcast is about. This is a Sabres-geared podcast, but really more of a Buffalo sports-geared podcast because I think anybody who grew up following, watching, listening to Buffalo sports is a Buffalo sports fan. You know who Michael Pekka is. Michael Pekka was the captain of the Buffalo Sabres when they went to the Stanley Cup Back in 1999 against the Dallas Stars, um, he was actually traded for Alexander Mogilny. That's right. Mogilny scores 76 goals and like, what, two years later gets traded for Michael Pekka in Vancouver, who comes to Buffalo. And there was other things involved in the deal, but pretty amazing to think about it that way. But Pekka goes on to have a, a terrific career in Buffalo. He actually misses a season because of a contract dispute. And then he goes on to the New York Islanders, never played for the Sabres again. So I asked Mike to join me here on the podcast to kind of walk through his career, every one of those series. We start with 97, the Derek Plant overtime goal against the Ottawa Senators in Game 7. They win that series. That's the only one in 97. They win 2 in 98, 3 in 99, go to the Cup, out of the first round in 2000. Then he's off the Sabres after that because of the contract dispute. So there's obviously a lot to get to. So let's do that right now. Michael Pekka, former Buffalo Sabres captain, joining me on the South Sports and Stuff podcast. 
All right, Mike, first of all, thank you very much uh, for joining me. I, I wanted to do this about a year ago, and we saw each other at the Jim Kelly Golf Tournament. Um, things just didn't work out scheduling-wise for me because that was the 20th anniversary, basically, of the Cup run uh, to 2000. But here we are, not uh, not too long after, I guess, almost a year after. I'm glad we were able to uh, get together and do this. So thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Uh, pleasure. Thank you. So um, first of all, let's just start with life in general. How, how are you handling everything uh, with what's going on in the world right now? And, you know, the coronavirus being detached from the world and life and sports and what's going on at home? Well, it's different. That's for sure. You know, I think, uh, you know, you try and make the most of anything. So we're enjoying family time and doing a lot more things uh, as a family, whether it's you know, walks with the dog or, uh, whatever it is in the house. Uh, we're, we're taking advantage of that time together because, you know, not too far down the road, you know, both our kids will be out of the house. So we're just going to enjoy the moment and, you know, really hope that things can get back to some form of normalcy soon. Um, you know, I think, uh, haven't really felt this way about kind of our, the United States more. I know it's a, it's a global pandemic, but just how it feels different, uh, you know, unlike anything we've ever experienced, not much like right after 9-11 where it's something like, is this really happening? It just doesn't seem like this would really ever happen in our lifetime. And uh, you're left kind of digesting it and, you know, on a daily basis, seeing what's different, what's new, what's improved, what's gotten worse. And you just hope that it, uh, you know, we get back to our lives here soon. How old are your kids? You have kids right now. How old are they? Uh, 19 and 16. Wow. So teenagers, uh, really, like you said, uh, kind of close to being out of the house. Um, it's gotta be tough for them not to see their friends. I would th- think, especially kind of the 16 year old who is probably a little bit cooped up. Yeah, they both are. I mean, she misses being at school. Um, you know, so it's, uh, it's, it's tough, you know, I mean, uh, the good thing she's got, you know, her online class is still going on and she's right. got her art, uh, to keep her occupied. But, uh, you know, as a kid, especially being cooped up is uh, is a tough thing to go through. Yeah, I have a six year old, and I've been uh, being Mister Stay at Home uh, Teacher for a little while every morning, and then you know you get on with your life a little bit throughout the day. One thing I've kind of struggled with myself, and I don't know how you feel, is as a sports guy, somebody who covers sports, and sports is such a part of my life, is you don't want to overstate how important sports are in the grand scheme of things, but you also know that they are very important and kind of trying to find that balance of missing it, but not putting so much of an emphasis on it has been a little bit of a tough balance for me. It has. I mean, I, I mean, I've enjoyed watching a lot of these replays of a lot of different sports, but that gets, you know, you can only take that so long. You want right. to see, I mean, especially this time of season we're getting, and it's one of the greatest times of the season for sports almost. Um, you know, so you, you you miss it. The the playoffs are around the corner. The uh, golf majors are, are supposed to be right around the corner. Um, a lot of things going on in Major League Baseball. So it's uh, it's it's as a sports fan, it's tough. There's no doubt. Well, I want to get into the classic games that are being shown, uh, especially for the Sabers. But let's start out and talk a little bit about your career and you know getting into the NHL and how you came to Buffalo. You are the answer to a trivia question. I don't know if a lot of our listeners, a lot of my listeners, might even realize, especially some of the younger ones, um, you were involved in a trade for a very, very popular big name Buffalo Saber. I'm sure you do, uh, but uh, you know who you were traded for and who the package you came with was, right? When you came from Vancouver to Buffalo, I'm assuming. I do. It was Alexander McGillney, who was one of the most prolific scorers in Sabres history. Uh, Just walk me through when you were first traded from Vancouver to Buffalo, knowing that here's Alexander McGillney, former, what, 76 goal scorer. You're getting traded for him along with Mike Wilson coming to Buffalo. 
Yeah, it was uh, the day was it was actually kind of a weird couple of days because I was still in Vancouver. Um, you know, I was kind of going to spend the weekend up in Whistler at Trevor Linden's uh, kind of stag stag guy stag weekend. Um, and then I remember uh, the one morning getting a phone call from my father, uh, which it was so it was the NHL draft day, and I got a call from my father saying, "Did you get traded?" I go, "I don't know." I said, "Your call just woke me up," um, and he. He goes, well, your aunt was at the mall and her, you know, saw it on the TV that you got traded. I said, okay, news to me. Um, so I, sure enough, I click it on the TV and see that I got traded before I even got a phone call. So my aunt in a, in a grocery store mall um, found out about the trade before I did. But then shortly after that, I got a call um, indicating, you know, that I did in fact get traded and, you know, kind of went on from there. And it's before internet. That's before Twitter. It's funny because like you had to find you, if you hear that you have to find a television and find out what's going on. And it's not like the NHL is just, you could just scroll and look up Elliot Friedman on Twitter or something like that. Right. And it's not just that. I think uh, that team in Vancouver, that you're that 94, 95 team, maybe two guys or three guys had cell phones. So it wasn't even like cell phones were, you know, circulated throughout our lives and, you know, I had a house phone and they may not even had my, my house phone number. I don't even know. So <laughs> it was, it was a, it was an interesting experience, but, uh, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, dejected by it. I was excited by it and looking forward to it. And what did you know about Buffalo at the time about, uh, the Sabres? I know you, you grew up in Ontario, right? So you obviously were familiar with the team, the organization I would, ex- I would expect. Yeah. You know, so when, as a kid, I listened to a lot of Blue Jays games on the radio and I also listened to a lot of Sabres games on the radio, just at times if I was just sitting in the backyard and stuff and listening to Ted Darling, you know, uh, you know, announced Gilbert Perot and Phil Housley and Tom Barrasso and Danny Gare. And, um, so I, I mean, I was quite familiar with, you know, the team, the organization, um, not, not extensively, but enough to know, um, that it meant a lot in the city of Buffalo, like, like a lot of teams do. Um, so I was, I was excited about it. You know what? I was going to be closer to home. Obviously it wasn't, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away. I was, uh, um, going to be just a, a short drive down the QEW to for my family to get the game. So from that perspective, it was exciting. Yeah. You and I are almost the exact same age. That's great. That, those early eighties teams are my wheelhouse too. a Barrasso. Uh, I, I was actually all confessions. I'll have to tell you, I was a Paul Sear fan. Okay. Mike, um, he was a guy couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with a slap shot, but those were the teams I grew up on with Dave Anderchuk and Housley. And those, those were some fun teams actually to watch. They, they really were. I mean, uh, you know, in street hockey, I do the Felino jump and, um, you know, it was just, it was, it was, it was some great teams. Um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I used to, uh, imitate the, uh, Ted Darling calls. That's great. Um, so it was, uh, it was, I, I mean, I, I did have, uh, some connection to the team. All right. So let's go on to your Sabres career here. You start off 95, 96, uh, you're there for five years, but it's interesting because I was looking back over again and the progression of the team, the regular seasons weren't better. They're actually kind of worse or where you would finish, but you guys had more and more playoff success as you went on. What do you attribute that to? I just think the way our team was, was made up, you know, I think, uh, throughout an 82 game schedule, obviously we, we relied heavily on a defensive style. Um, you know, we did have guys that score, you know, Miro Shatan could score goals. We had some good offensive defensemen, um, but it was a collection. You know, I think we were, we relied on being a three, four line team um, and over an 82 game schedule without the real dynamic offensive output. Um, you're probably, I mean, we could put some winning streaks together, but you're not going to sustain um, a lot of them. So, 
you know, I think when you get into a playoff uh, uh, matchup, I think our the way our team was made and put together was better suited for playoff hockey than it was over the course of an 82-game schedule. All right, so let's uh, let's go to the the first series you're in in Buffalo. It's a couple years into your Sabres career, and what I'd like to do is I think people would find it kind of interesting if we kind of just walk through the timeline of some of these series, maybe a memory or two about one of them. The first series you had as a Sabre was the Ottawa series, uh, Derek Plant, Game 7 in overtime. What, what do you remember about that series? I, I just remember that we were so – I mean, obviously, uh, Ottawa being a division team and playing them a lot throughout the course of the season and – you know, they were, they were a skilled team, you know, heavy, uh, heavy Europeans. Um, Scott McEachern was, was, uh, was such a good player for them. He, he seemed to have a really good season against us that year. So we knew we were going to have our hands full, um, you know, the Yash and McEachern, um, and I don't even know who was on the right side of time. I don't know if Alferson was even there yet, but their, their line was, was so good and was going to be such a, a focal point for us. But, you know, the area I think we thought we could maybe get to them a little bit was their blue line and their goaltending and, you know, as the series wore on and wore on, um, we seem to have a little bit more success. But I think, obviously, Derek Plant's goal in overtime there to kind of get us through that. And um, for a lot of the guys there, that was, you know, our first um, experience. Um, I mean, I, I got through it in my rookie year in Vancouver. But for a lot of guys, as, as a Buffalo Sabre, it was kind of the... Uh, the starting point for us uh, turning the corner as a, as a team. I'm looking at their roster right now. Yashin uh, Alfredson was on that team. Alexander Dagg, I mean, you know, he had an interesting story. Uh, Steve Duchesne, they had some talent on that team. Yeah, they, they sure did. Um, you know, and they had some young guys that were, yep. were were pretty good, pretty good players as well. It was uh, it was a dynamic team for sure. All right, let's go on to the next series. Then the game one is Shields versus Snow, one of the classic Rick Jenneret calls. Uh, the brawl in Philly. You guys, uh, you only win one game in that series. What do you remember about it? Well, I, yeah, we were we were a little a uh, little outmatched. I think it was uh, it was going to be a tough series from the start. I believe we we didn't have Lafontaine. Um, you know, he was, he was helping us with some, some power play stuff in the locker room. Um, but it was one of those things where we just, you know, we, we tried to get some experience from it. You know, the, you know, with Lindros and, and that crew, they, they'd been through it before and, um, they were the heavy favorites. So I think we went in there trying to do our best, but, uh, I think what we took out of it was a, a great learning experience. And then the next year, right away, you face the flyers again, round one. Uh, you guys win that series. You only lose one game. You win four games to one. Uh, the winner comes overtime uh, at Philadelphia, three-two. You win that game in the first round. What was the difference between the Philly series the year before and then starting off the next year? I just think it's another year under our belts collectively. You know, we were we were a pretty young group, and I think uh, the more you can grow together, the better you're going to get. Um, and I think that was the case. You know, I think Michael Grosser could kind of kind of turn a corner that season and. Actually, I think he scored the overtime goal against Philly. Um, he became a beast for us. And I think uh, a lot of guys took a step forward from the year prior and uh, gave us uh, a little bit more of an advantage uh, or opportunity to win that series. The next series, you guys play Montreal. Now you sweep them. And, you know, you can tell me if you think this is right or wrong. I always thought, though, March, Montreal, that, that was a tough series. I, You know, two games went to overtime. One went to double overtime. Uh, you're with, within a whisker of having to go – have that series extended, but you guys were able to come out on top. That was a good Montreal team, but you guys were able to sweep them. How, how'd you do that? Yeah, they were, they're a very talented group. I think, and even if you go through some of those uh, early overtime games or early games, Dom came up with some huge mm -hmm. saves for us. Um, and when you go against 
a team that was as good offensively as them. And if you, if we were down one or two games in that series, I think it becomes a lot more difficult for us to win the series. But I think having, you know, been on the right end of, of those first two, the first overtime, the first uh, couple games, um, I think gave us that advantage in which our style now uh, made it difficult for them to, to try and mount a comeback. And then, of course, it's the Washington Capitals. I think this is the series that maybe nationally the Sabres started resonating with people. You go to the Eastern Conference Finals. Washington was very good. Obviously, they had a lot of firepower. Uh, they had good goaltending. But, you know, you guys gave them a hell of a run. Three games go to overtime. Kind of a flip of the Montreal series where you were on the, right. the right end of those games. You're on the wrong end of this one. Tell me about that Washington series. And if you can, even maybe the uh, Joe Juno goal that sealed it in Buffalo. Yeah, again, I think it was uh, just going up against a really talented, deep veteran team. And I think uh, much like the year before when we lost against the Flyers, it's it was one of those things where we felt we were building and we felt we could win the series. But I think, um, you know, what came, the result of, of us losing that series is was uh, we gained a lot more experience and belief in ourselves, you know, and um, we went from not making the playoffs to making the playoffs and winning one, one series. And then, you know, and then, we just continue to progress. So I think, you know, as we're going through this, like I said, as a young group, we're getting a real taste and uh, appetite for what playoff hockey means and, and feels like. And, um, you know, so you're obviously disappointed to, to lose uh, in the conference final, but uh, uh, we felt we, we kind of not overachieved, but, you know, kind of proved to people that we we're a better team than, than a lot thought we were um, and had a lot of upside still uh, moving forward in the uh future seasons. Michael Pekka, former Buffalo Sabre, joining me here on the South Sports and Stuff podcast. Let's get to the cup season. Uh, what were the expectations going into the 98-99 year? Well, I think I think we, we believe that we are a team that, that can compete for, for uh, a Stanley Cup. I think um, going into the season, it's always hard to project that far out. Obviously, if there's uh, a, a grueling 82-game um, schedule in front of you that you've got to focus on. Um, but I think the key that season was Darcy brought in um, some key players for us. You know, obviously Stu Barnes, Jeff Sanderson. I don't know if that Sanderson was there the year before or not. I can't remember. Joe Juno uh, up front. So, um, you know, we did we did make some additions, unlike previous years where we got some some pretty solid players as the season was going on. Um, some veteran guys that um, I think when we got into the playoffs that year gave us a little bit more belief and depth. You know, it's funny. I was listening to Rob on with the guys on WGR uh, the other day, and he said something interesting. He said, you know, there were a lot of times where uh, some some guys in that team didn't. It wasn't like the greatest necessarily chemistry. They didn't get along, but on the ice, everybody did. But were, was there a lot of that? And you know, was that maybe just because young guys being competitive? Is that normal? What? How would you describe the dynamic between the players on and off the ice on those teams? Well, I think there were there were cases of that, and I think uh, that's those were some of the things that I think Darcy addressed with some of the moves he made as right. that season went on. And I think a lot of that a lot of that was removed from the locker room, and then we we actually did become a really close group. And um, it's not like guys didn't like each other. I think it was a fun group, and there was a ton of different personalities. Um, you know, the the Groshiks and the Veradas were you know funny, funny guys, and. You know, maybe not everybody liked them because they didn't talk to everybody. But I, you know, I think I think we were a really close knit team because um, I don't think our team would have achieved the success over the course of two three seasons that we had if we weren't close. Because like I said, we weren't the most dynamic offensive team, um, and we did a lot of stuff like that cup run. We had 
um, you know, like six, seven, eight guys in a hotel room on the road during the playoffs playing um, Xbox. You know, like, huh. we, I mean, we did a lot of things off the ice together, um, you know, and that's always a sign of a successful team is when you care about each other and enjoy being around each other off the ice as much, you know, as the locker room and on the ice, uh, you're going to have success. Yeah, you, you sweep Ottawa to start that uh, particular playoff run. Uh, you have a double overtime game in there, but really you guys were great on defense. I'm looking over the box scores now. Only three goals allowed through the first three games. You win 4-3 that final game. Then you get Boston, and Boston and Buffalo, you know, you're – you're my age. You grew up. You know all about it. It's uh, it's the Bruce Shoe Bottoms of the world that you know make you hate the Boston Bruins growing up. But even yeah. back to the '70s and the the O'Reillys uh, and those guy kind of guys. So the the hatred. Um, what was it like at that time? Because because to me, it's not even the Maple Leafs anymore. Still, Mike, it's the Bruins. That's who the Sabers' true rival is. Because I'm 46, like you are, and that's how I grew up. Going into a series like that against the Boston Bruins, what's it like for a Buffalo Saber? Well, it's exciting because it's it's one of those series where you know how much it means to your fan base. Right. You know, like you're talking about the rivalry. So it's not, you know, it's not us playing Ottawa or us playing uh, the Washington Capitals where, you know, hey, look, we want our team to win. It's an important series in the playoffs. But when you play the Bruins, um, you know, you know the fans, um, young and old, because the old ones have lived through um, the rivalries of the past and the young ones have heard from, you know, all their the relatives of what the rivalry means. So you know that there's a little bit more of an emotional investment in your fan base in a series like that. So it, it, it makes it so much more exciting. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I'll tell you the first time I ever truly cried after a say after a sporting event was game seven, 1983, Brad Park scoring on Bob Sove. Uh, that just crushed me. So ever since then, it just, it's gotta be Sabres and Bruins are the true rivalry in my mind. But obviously we go back to the Sabres and the Maple Leafs for a lot of people and even though you guys weren't the true rival in division at that time, like you were before and you are now, Sabres, Maple Leafs, Toronto, they get back to the conference finals, you get back to the conference finals. What kind of pressure did you guys feel as an organization, as a team going against your border rivals? You know what? I don't, we were such a fun, loose group by then. Um, I think we were for the most part, but when we got there, like we, we didn't, we didn't have a, a sense of nervousness in our locker room. I think, Again, based on the experience we gained from the Washington Conference Final uh, the year before, you know, and I think we had a lot of confidence going into that series. And mm-hmm. um, for our group, being the way we're made up, starting on the road, I think was uh, was a, a blessing for us. What do you What do you remember about that that uh, Maple Leafs team? Because uh, if I remember, I'm going to try and go back through their uh, through their roster a little bit. Um, let's see, who do they have on this team? I'm trying to think. Well, obviously Domi was there, uh, Felix Potvin, but what do you remember about that team? Well, I mean, anytime I thought about a least team through that kind of era was, you know, Matt Sundin and Matt Sundin can do a lot of dangerous things at any given time. And, you know, their number one line, I mean, they, they, they were good, but they were a little bit kind of spread out with their offense. Um, you know, Matt Sundin was on the first line with Steve Thomas and Lonnie Bahana. So it's not your true traditional number one line. Um, and that's kind of how their lineup was. They'd have, you know, some spitter spatter, some offensive guys, maybe to create some balance in their lineup. And I think um, our depth at that time was, there was really the difference, the whole playoff run. Um, you know, we were able to throw out, um, any any of our lines and have success. Like even our fourth line, it was young, but we had Primo and Rasmussen um, right. on that line with uh, a designated uh, uh, third third forward on that line that was you know in and out of the lineup. 
Um, but they were successful for us. They provided, you know, uh, a, a role for us. So um, I think I think that's where we were able to come out on top in that series is just our, our overall depth. And, you know, that, that whole run, it was, you know, the offensive production from William Jitnik on the back end, especially on the power play, was huge for us. All right. I, uh, you'll have to remember me and refresh my memory. Did you, as the captain, did you touch the trophy after you won? Because obviously there's a tradition. A lot of people don't believe in doing that because it's not the cup. I didn't. James Patrick begged me not to touch it. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, whatever. He's he's the elder statesman, and I'll, I'll listen to him. Um, in retrospect, I wish we would have celebrated with it because it was a huge accomplishment. Right. Regardless, I mean, I still felt we could reorganize our thoughts uh, in the coming days and get ready for a Stanley Cup uh, final. Um, but I wish I wish we would have taken the time to celebrate it because uh, we earned the right to. Well, you went to the Stanley Cup Finals, obviously, 99, take on the Dallas Stars. What a loaded, loaded team they had, obviously, with Hall and Madonna in that group. Um, did you guys go to Dallas the first game? Uh, it's Jason Woolley, shot her around the hockey world, as Rick Jennerette would say. Um, as that season goes on, just kind of take me into that series, the game planning. Like, What did you guys want to do against them that you thought you could be successful with? Well, I think I think first and foremost, we just had to be um, what we've always tried to be, and that's just responsible on the defensive side of the game and responsible managing the puck because, you know, they, they had some really, really wicked offensive weapons that can turn the game offensively really quickly. Um, we wanted to get out to a quick start of the series because we knew they had a grueling series with Colorado um, mm-hmm. in their conference final. Um, and we had youth on our side. We had, I think, uh, the legs and um, not, I mean, they had a very veteran team. They still had some young guys that were pretty dynamic, but, uh, we knew if we can get out to a good start, it would definitely give us a better chance. What was it like playing for Lindy Ruff during that time? I enjoyed it. I mean, you know, I think I've been talking about how we evolved as a, as a team, the players, uh, over the course of the, those, those three, four years. Um, but we also got to witness the evolution of Lindy Ruff as a coach, um, he was uh, such a good guy in the locker room uh, at that time. He had a great sense of humor, um, uh, real fun to be around. What about Dom? Um, obviously, you know, at this point, I think people realize how good he is. Maybe uh, now finally he's getting the national recognition he deserves for how great of a goaltender he was. And Just kind of take me into playing with him, knowing he's on your back end and, you know, what kind of a truly what kind of a great player he was. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we, we loved him. I mean, I think, but we had such a great admiration for him because what people didn't see is how hard he worked in right. practice. There's there no secret why he was as good as he was. Um, he was a perfectionist in practice and really, you know, worked hard at, you know, sealing up the holes he thought he had, you know, and over the course of practice, he'd take mental notes of who scored and where they scored and then try and correct that before he left the ice that practice session. I mean, he was, he was a consummate professional. He, nobody worked harder than he did. Um, at perfecting his trade. So, you know, I, I always said that, you know, you look at dynasty teams, um, their best players are the guys that lead uh, in the work department. And I think that's why we were so good is not only was he a great goalie and obviously um, made a lot of great saves, but he led by example, of how hard he worked, you know, Patty was there and Patty was like that. Um, but you look at the great teams when Detroit had their runs or, you know, Chicago had their runs recently their best players are their hardest workers and they lead by example. And everybody else in that lineup just kind of follows in behind and, and does their part. You go to this, uh, you go to the next season, uh, you guys go out in the first round of the Philadelphia Flyers by that. Was that team spent at all because of all the, the games you had played the playoffs and the series, the team had changed a little bit. Uh, was it just Philadelphia was just simply the better team? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would. I don't know if I'd say they're the better team, but I just think that uh, we could have been a little bit run out. Um, I know it was kind of a crazy year where we didn't get off to a great start. Right. Um, you know, it's just uh, it could have been. It could have been just uh, our bodies and our minds, and uh, we just couldn't get them riled up for for a good start, and then kind of rode rode those woes for for some time. And um, you know, as we found out. Um, you know, you, you can't just turn it on in the playoffs. You have to have some momentum, um, if not leading into it at some point during the season to, to get you to believe. But yeah, we, I think we were just a little bit emotionally more so than physically, um, kind of spent. Obviously that's your, uh, your, your last season in Buffalo. I don't know if you knew th- how things were going to play out. When, when did you think at some point, you know, this might come to a head and we may have an issue down the road here, uh, where everything winds up happening, where you miss the season. Did you, did you know after that season or it just kind of, did it build up through the summer leading up? I, I didn't suspect anything like that. Um, at that point, um, you know, I wanted to just kind of relax, take some time, um, and then just see where, you know, conversations would start after that. Um, but I think once, once negotiations started and, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that I just, I don't feel comfortable talking about okay. that, you know, that I was, that I was told and different things where mm-hmm. I started to suspect that, you know, I was, they were going to leverage everything with the CBA against me, which is totally their right. And, you know, it was, for me, it became more of a principle than it was about anything else. Um, just the way things were handled. How, how did you, did you stay in contact with the players that year? Um, you know, what was your interaction with, um, those guys, you know, and watching them play on the ice and, and off the ice too? I did. I mean, I was at the Northtown center skating, um, uh, five days a week in the morning. And oftentimes, you know, the, the Sabres, you know, once a week at least would, would practice after my ice. So I'd see them, I'd talk to Lindy and, um, you know, see how things are going and he'd see how things are going on my end. And, um, you know, we, we, I, I could tell from some of the the younger guys we got in that year and, you know, the, the hunger of the group uh, that we were ready to, you know, make amends for going out in the first round the year before. And, and I, I could see how good the team was, you know, and so I was kind of hoping that things were going to progress the right way, but unfortunately they didn't. Was there a point like during the season or was it not until after where you realized this is probably it, I'm, I'm probably not going to be a Buffalo Sabre anymore after this year? I, I kind of knew um, come December that things were probably not going to work out um, only because, you know, I, you know, I was trying to figure out where this was going to go. And, um, you know, I know that there was some teams that had, you know, proposed trades to the Buffalo Sabres that were pretty good and were denied. And when, when I started to hear that feedback from uh, my agent, I knew that this was not going to end well. Um and then actually when it carried over into the draft and I knew some of the scenarios that were hopefully going to play out in the draft. And when, you know, the day one went by, I looked at my wife and said, I'm, I don't think I'm going to end up playing next year either. I think they're going to make me sit another year. And, wow. um, thank God day two, uh, it changed pretty quick. Yeah. I'll get to that trade in a second, but you know, we're, we're now 20 years removed from, from those kinds of things. I mean, do you look back and say, is there, is there a million things that you think maybe should have played out differently? Or, you know, if you say, you know what, we played it right. It just didn't work out. Um, who knows? I mean, I think obviously, um, there's, there probably are a handful of things that could have been done differently. Um, you know, I think uh, in years past, not just in my case, but in a lot of cases, um, you know, sometimes negotiations just become too confrontational from mm-hmm. the outset. Um, 
And so I think a lot of that probably could have uh, been squashed down a little bit early on. Um, but, you know, hindsight is what it is. But, you know, like I said, even with uh, when we opened the conversation about how to deal with, uh, you know, the self-quarantine and stuff like that. I, I mean, I look back at that year and saw that I got to play for Team Canada in the Spangler Cup, the World Championship, uh, camp, captain the Canadian team. And I think that was kind of a precursor when they saw me there, allowed me to get an opportunity to play in the Olympics the, the following year after sitting a year out. So, you know, things have a funny way of working out, but, uh, you know, I, I, I really did wish that um, I could have been a saver for, for a lot longer than five years. Well, you get traded for uh, Tim Connolly and Taylor Pyatt. You go to the New York Islanders, and I believe your first year in New York, you uh, you won the Selkie. Is that right? I did, yeah. I had, uh, I mean, I was fortunate to have great line mates that year, Sean Bates and Mark Parrish, and I think uh, I wish it could have been a, a – a three, a three guy award that year. Mm-hmm. And just tell me about your time in New York. You spent uh, three years on the Island. I, I love Long Island. We had, uh, you know, some family there, some, some really good friends there. Love playing with, uh, for Peter Laviolette, my first, uh, first few years. Um, you know, but, uh, you can start to see, uh, a situation, uh, arising where, you know, when I was out with, uh, my uh, ACL injury, um, I'd run into Alexi Ashen's agent after games and he kept telling me to take my time, take my time, which I thought was just a weird thing for, for him to say to me. And then um, as the years went on, um, I, I just got the sense from people in the organization that they, uh, they wanted to set the stage and make it Alexi's team. So, you know, guys like myself and Adrian Coin and uh, other veteran players removed out so they can set the stage for Alexi to kind of take the team and, um, that was the end of that. You went to Edmonton and people may not realize, uh, you know, you were just uh, a game away from playing the Sabres in a Stanley cup final, but it was obviously the Carolina hurricanes. You do go to the cup once again with the Edmonton Oilers. What was that year like for you? Well, it was, uh, it was, it started out as a real tough year. I mean, with the whole lockout the year before, um, you know, and staying in touch with the, you know, the heads of the NHLPA, um, they didn't, they thought it was going to go beyond a year. So, you know, to my detriment, you know, I was on golf trips. I, I probably enjoyed the lockout more than, uh, than anything and, and, and let my body get a little bit too out of shape. So for the first few months in Edmonton, um, I almost had to play my way back into shape and it was a very, very big struggle for me. But then, uh, the blessing that year was the, the, uh, the Olympic break. Um, I got, um, a lot of, a lot of off ice work in, a lot of on ice work in. And then, you know, from that point on, uh, played some of my best hockey. And I think, I think that team that we had was a very underratedly talented team. And, you know, we had to fight and, and, and I don't think we clinched the playoff spot until the second last game of the season. So we, we played really, really good hockey for the last month and a half of the season and, uh, and parlayed that into a pretty good playoff run. You know, I know your, uh, your career went a few more years after that, but uh, eventually circling back, uh, you made your way back to Buffalo. You've been a part of alumni events. Uh, I know that the day that the Sabres played their, I'm sorry, the Bills played their playoff game, you were on the ice, you revealed you had a Bills jersey underneath. And, and that's cool, I think, for a lot of Sabres fans to see. It seems like, I mean, the relationship between you and the organization, whatever happened in the past, seems like that's all thawed and everything's really good with you. Yeah. I, I mean, I never suspected that there would be anything, you know, I, I always, you know, I never had any ill will uh, with the organization or anything like that. It was just some of the, you know, some of the people involved in that situation that, uh, you know, I had a little bit more uh, of a, of a bad taste in my mouth with, but uh, no, I'm glad. I mean, Buffalo was always our home. Uh, Long Island was the only place we bought in the house. And then when I got traded from there, we, 
we always came back to Buffalo every year for in the off season. So it was always our home. So it was, it was good to settle back here. And uh, we'd, we'd love for the Sabres to get back to the success that those late nineties teams uh, enjoyed. When you watch the team on the ice right now, and you see a guy like Jack Eichel, a guy like Rasmus Dahlin, how, how far away do you think this team is? You know what? I, I don't think it's that far. I mean, we've seen teams turn corners mm-hmm. pretty quick and, you know, but I, I mean, obviously they're going to need to enjoy some success sooner than later. Uh, Cause you want these young guys to get that sense. Like we got, you know, we, we got the, the taste of it in the playoffs and then it just, it continues to grow and grow and grow where you want more. Um, so they've, they've, they, you know, they just, they got to get there. You know, they've got to you know, find some consistency in their game and, uh, find a way to just get themselves into the playoffs. And I think, you know, even that first year, if they just get in, they're going to get a real taste of what it's like um, because all these guys have all had success in their, in their hockey careers. So, um, but the playoffs, there's nothing like, you know, the playoffs in the national hockey league. And once you get a taste of it, you want it as often as you can possibly get it. And then, uh, finally, Mike, last thing, what are you doing now? Uh, what's life like for you when we're not self-quarantined here and self-isolated? Uh, what are you doing out there? And I, I think, I believe you still do live in Western New York, right? Yeah, we, we are, we're in the area. Um, you know, when we, uh, Mike Gilbert and I and uh, Larry Playfair, uh, put together the Buffalo junior Sabres mm-hmm. program, uh, years ago. So I've been, I've been involved in that coaching youth hockey for the last, uh, five, six years in that program. And, you know, was with the Buffalo Regals before that. And, um, just love being a part of youth hockey in this area. You know, there's uh, so many great young, um, hockey players in this area. And just to be a part of that in this environment and community is, uh, has been, uh, self-rewarding for me. Well, Mike, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. I, I was, uh, glad to be able to finally do it with you and take a little trip down memory lane. So, you know, thanks for spending some time this morning and hopefully, uh, gave people a little bit of time to pass the time and reminisce a little bit too. You're welcome. Sal. thanks for having me on. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.